I'm Jan Sukfong Lee. And I'm Dina Del Bucchia. And this is Can't Lit. Do, 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 do. Can't Lit. We talk about books and stuff. Hello, and welcome to Can't Lit. I am here. I am, so, I am Dina, so and I am I. here. <laughs> Jen is here. Jen is Jen. Yeah. Hi, hi Jen. Hi, Dina. Hey. I'm uh, very are, sweaty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, as you can tell, like, the smoke is affecting me. Um, we're a little bit smoked in. It's uh-huh. not the worst. Apparently, we're at low to moderate uh, danger okay, right but now. I have a scab in the corner of my eye because my eyes water in the smoke. And I've been mm-hmm. wiping it like this. So now there's a disgusting, scabby Terrible. in the corner of my eye. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, yeah. I have a, like a lot of sinus stuff. So it's just, I can feel like, it's like the smoke went just into my nostrils. And I was like, listen, we're going to stop everything from happening in, in your <laughs> T-zone. Like nothing's happening we, there. We should announce our new sponsor, WebMD, for this portion of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> WebMD, please give us money. Listen, WebMD, and please, I know you're listening. O'Keefe's hand cream and foot cream. I really need your money. Please come through for us. I'm constantly moisturizing, despite the fact that it's always humid. My feet are so dry. They're like a Trisket. <laughs> They're like a Trisket broken in half. So it's got and raw you, ends. Yeah. And you know I hate Triscuits. So this is pretty stressful for me. Uh, we do have today a very special guest. Very exciting. The author of three novels, most recently Lump, which is out now, and a podcaster just like us, Nathan Whitlock. Woohoo! Hi. Hello. How You're are here. You? You're I here am too. here. You're so here too. I have a question right off the start. Um, yeah. When you're referring to a smoke situation, is this like vaping? Is this like <laughs> way too much vaping? I wish. I've never just, vaped. Maybe I should no. start. Never once? No. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying that I feel like I've done it once or twice on no. like Once I quit advice? the actual cigarettes, that was it. It was all and, gone. And they stopped selling flavored cigarettes, as it is known uh, by people who know me. I was a big menthol bitch, and oh, now no. they don't have them anymore. So why would I even bother? I feel like that's the only kind of person who can smoke menthol. Like, I don't think you can passively smoke menthols or, like, casually. I think you Mm-mm. have to go full on. You have to, like, you have that's to a, be committed. That's a lifestyle. That's really an absolute is. lifestyle choice. Absolutely. Flavored cigarettes is, yeah, that feels like you have, yeah, you have to be like a badass 25-year-old or a badass 75-year-old. There's Absolutely. no, nothing do in they between. Still, do they still make clove cigarettes? Oh, good I, question. I don't, I think they're, I think they're illegal. I used to love those. Yeah, me too. So I think you have to like get them by... You have to go in the black market. Oh. Because then you get or to something. walk around like a gingerbread cookie on fire. It's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Delicious. Delicious. Isn't that what the guy, the smoking man on X-Men, you guys are on the West Coast. You know all this. You know your X-Men trivia. X-Files. X-Files. Oh, yeah. X-Files. Yeah. X-Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, 
cancer. It wasn't that. Yes, cigarette was, smoking man, cancer man. Uh, was it clove? Was it clove cigarettes? I remember reading that because it, it creates a lot of smoke, so it picks up on on screen. I think that is. Correct. I think that's yes. accurate. Yeah. Yeah, so it may I have been so. when production shut down on X Files that they just were like, "Well, the market it's crashed." Done. Yeah, yeah, we so can't we don't need these doing this anymore. They had to. Yeah. That actor shut down. is no longer doing it. Exactly. Jen cannot have a clove cigarette again. No cloves <laughs> for you. No. What about, a, what about a big pipe? Yeah. What about a big like a big pipe? Like like Sherlock Holmes style pipe? Yeah, yeah. You could do it. I mean, I'm I not against it. I'm not against it. <laughs> I uh, I I am following your Instagram feed, and I know that a bubble pipe would also work. Oh yeah, in terms I love of like landing. Yeah, I could see a um, bubble pipe. Yeah, the other day, so my best friend's sister and nephews are in town, and the other day we went to one of those like fun fancy candy stores that has all the different stuff, and we bought edible bubbles. Ooh, what are edible so it's bubbles? Like you make just them like, and then you yeah, you grow. blow them and you can eat them. They're just like sugary. It's just like a sugary. But you're probably not getting very much because they're just like a tiny little film, you know? That seems like somebody invented that by watching a dog go after bubbles and thought that would yes. be fun. They're like, let's, yes. make dogs. let's make humans do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my cousin's dog loves to eat bubbles, but they make her super sick. So we always <laughs> have to like hide her. We're like, don't eat those bubbles. But maybe she could eat the sugar bubbles and then she wouldn't throw up or whatever another option would be not to blow bubbles at all in front of the dog instead of making mm -hmm. the dog suffer never. in that situation like, never no way dogs should dog, always suffer just kidding the dogs have rights dogs have rights beyond people's bubble needs yeah these toddlers are blowing bubbles for it they don't need it yeah no that's nah, just that's give them something else but just to, for anyone listening there are still a lot of fires um <laughs> going real hard here so right. we are talking about smoke that is kind of hovering um over the city the fine they, particulate of smoke exactly yes. yeah. yeah we had our like west coast here in ontario or i'm in i'm in hamilton we had a brief kind of flirtation with west coast fire smoke days uh yeah. about a month ago we had a few weeks where we were like what we don't we're 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 out in the east. We're center Canada. We don't have to put up with this shit. Like this is yeah, it's for people out there. <laughs> I remember when that was going on. It was a lot you of outrage. Were, yeah, you were very outraged. And I was like, "Welcome to West Coast summer. Welcome yeah. to our our lives." <laughs> yeah. And we don't even okay. get the like. We don't even get the smug. You know, well, we get lots of smug, but we we didn't get the smug like ha ha flowers in February. Like we don't get to do that. Yeah. As a, as a, well, we probably will at a certain point, but. Yeah, just wait a couple yet. years. Yeah. As the just earth increases a, a degree every, every year, it's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're doing great. We're doing great out here. Uh, Dina. Yes. Dina, what's happening yeah. with you? All right. Well, I've been to every outdoor pool in Vancouver. For the first summer ever, I've been to all the outdoor pools. Um, so if I wanted to, I could rank them finally, but, and this is just, just in Vancouver and there's only three, but, um, I don't think people would like my <laughs> ranking. What's your ranking? Uh -oh. Listen, I gotta be honest. Be Second honest. beach pool. Number one, second beach pool yeah, is the best. Yeah. Yes, then it it's is. Kitts pool. And I'm sorry to new Brighton. It is number three. They're all great. New, 
New Brighton is my neighborhood pool. It's a great <laughs> pool, but there's some design issues personally for me. I don't like that there's nowhere to really set up your belongings in the deep end that is close. You have to kind of go around the people who are doing laps. And I don't want to do laps. I just want to get in the pool and act like a ding dong. Like I, <laughs> I don't want to be doing that. I want to get, I want to cool off. I want to swim around. Um, so th- these are my rankings. Also, the parking situation at New Brighton is terrible. If you drive. It's terrible. It's also yeah. impossible to get there if you take public transit. Yes. Um, and it's very far from me. So if I rode my bike, it would probably take me two hours. Was this I an intentional was this an intentional project on your on your behalf? Or was it just like no, naturally you normally, realize like, oh, I've done it. I've actually done it. Yeah. Normally I only go to Second Beach Pool and Kids Pool because they are closer to me and they're just for me personally more accessible. Um, and every time I had tried to go to New Brighton Pool previously, I would take one of the car share cars, but there was never any parking because there was no parking no. in that area. Um, but I finally did this year. So well, because oh, Dina okay. came to meet me because New Brighton is where I can walk to. Yeah. See, I've Jen never driven there. there. I've never driven there because I've always lived sort of close by. So that's like, you know, this yeah. is great. So I actually yeah. do agree. Second Beach is the best pool. It's incredible. It's your I don't right. like it's- I don't like I don't like kits. There's too many good looking people there. It's upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> I just like I like how big it is. I do like that it's a saltwater pool. That's fun. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. So Anyway, these are my rankings. But that's I like a grown-up like, type of pool. That's like that's not just like splash around and pee. That's yeah, and it's it's very up. very big. Um, but all these pools are great. Would go to them again. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to at least one or two in the next week before they close. So great news. Also, I went to the peony yesterday, so I'm currently still like I feel like I have deep fried things coursing through <laughs> my body still, and like slushy um, alcoholic boozy drinks so nice yeah i'm i'm still in my like deep summer mode even though i'm supposed to be in prepare for september mode but who cares can i uh, or not can i say something really privileged uh which is that i currently live across from a a giant city park in hamilton so nice and within it's not metaphorical, but literally within a stone's throw of my front door is a outdoor city pool. So like we nice. can see it from our bedroom window. We can see this pool and we have a annual pass that just gives us free family yeah. access to any pool in the city, but specifically this one. And, and my wife, the, the, uh, you know, inestimable Megan Strymus and my youngest go there all the time. They were there today. Um, but I hate it because <laughs> It's well, first of all, there's there's something there that I think you would actually love, which is that a lot of the um, elderly ladies from the seniors building next to us, they just stay there the entire day. I love Uh, them. They're perfect. They float around on the big floats and they (laughs) they glare and glower at all the kids jumping in and splashing. And they're like, even though I also love kids splashing, this is great. And somehow you're not allowed to have any kind of beverages there, but somehow they get drunker and drunker throughout the day. I don't know how they're sneaking in alcohol to this pool, but, um, and I remember Megan telling me like she overheard them. Cause even during the pandemic, you were allowed to go there at a certain point once they reopened, but you had to book, they had this weird system where you had to book 24 hours in advance, 
you would go on a city site and you would book. It was free, but you could book for an hour and they would just book up the whole day and they would, and they would literally get out of the pool and then go, I'm back in and then get out at the end of the hour and go back in. And they, I think they called it double dipping. And they would talk about like, we're double dipping today. Right girls. And like, yeah, Helen, we're double dipping. And they would just float around, never get out, never get out to use the washroom. And so, you know, like, the, you know what's also, going on in there. there yeah. Beverages also. You yes. know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And so I have been, you know, because I'm the parent in the a parent in this situation, I have to go there every once in a while. And I've started calling it the Strathcona soup because our neighborhood is <laughs> called Strathcona. But it just feels soupy and it feels like, like you're picking hair off your arms and off your shoulders. And there's like literally in the corners, it gets all filmy. And, and you're just like, uh, I don't want to be in the soup anymore. There's like a giant bay leaf stuck to you when you get out. And it's just, uh, I can't, I can't stand it. If I would it, rather. If it was I, just bay leaves, it'd be okay. If it was just yeah, bay leaves. That's true. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Even if it was just urine, it would be okay. I think there's worse, <laughs> worse things happening in that pool. They need and to then, do it like they do with the capybaras, just like throw a bunch of satsumas in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think they need to like grow some sort there needs to be some sort of plant that like filters filters out the uh filters out the water, but also scares all the older ladies away. And so they're like, ah, can't see the bottom anymore. Um and it's not very big. It's a small pool. So once you get yeah. full. The only saving grace is that our eight-year-old is a big swimmer, so he always aces the deep end test. So we don't have to stay in the usual parent and taught area in the shallow end, which is just like you're all shoulder to shoulder. Like, <laughs> you have no space at all, and it's even worse. It's just you feel those like warm currents go past you every <laughs> once in a while. And you're like, this is it. This is what it is. This Public feels suspiciously like body control. temperature. Yeah. 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 You need a you need a bigger public pool. You need a great filtration system. I would swim in the harbor before I would swim like put my head under this pool. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, you heard you it guys, here, everyone. This is doing nothing. As Zena knows, I hate water. I have a terrible yeah, Jen version. is like not a Jen will dip briefly. <laughs> Oh, I hate <laughs> pools. They like drive me. The only reason I was at a pool is, you know, so that I could take my kid. Like I would have, n- I right. would never put a toe in a pool if it wasn't yeah. for the kid. Like seriously. And if I went to a pool alone with Dina without the kid, I would just sit on the deck. Like that's all I would do. <laughs> <laughs> the pool across yeah. the street from us was actually uh, featured in a TV show that was on Amazon Prime. This kid's show about um, this girl who's really obsessed with Jane Goodall and she goes on these like weird imaginary adventures and I've never watched the show but I watched the trailer and I can't even remember what it's called it's fairly new it just like I remember when they were filming it and there's an opening shot of her and her little brother going down like the Amazon in a in a boat and they go over a waterfall and just as they're falling they fall back and they're actually in a pool because it was all in her imagination and it's and then it zooms out and I was like, hey, that's our pool. I and I can see like my kids' school in the background. And then I thought about it. It was like the Amazon is probably cleaner than that pool at peak like peak old lady uh, time of day. Like double I would dipping. I would risk yeah after about the fifth double dip, I would rather jump in the Amazon and 
I just feel like everything. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Happier. Because then there's, then I'm not getting out and having to continue with my day. I'm just dead. Which. (laughs) I mean, that kind of death is its own reward. Yeah, it's true. It's a nobler death than just kind of. It's a nobler death. I need a noble Amazon death. Oh dear. But I like having a I like the idea that I have a pool and I like that my kid likes it. So Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. I'm this happy. Is a, that. That's a good attitude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jen, what's happening with you? I'm very grumpy. Um <laughs> that's on brand. Dean and I Yeah, it is. Dean and I are very opposite. I hate summer. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I don't like the only thing that what do I even like about it? Literally nothing. Um, I don't like drinks on a patio. I don't like direct sunlight. I don't like wearing small clothing. I don't like any of this. I know. I know. I'm perfect. I like wool, coats, boots, leaves, terrible cloud cover. I like all of those things. So like, it's fine. So I've been really grumpy, but like the main thing is I hate not having a schedule like with the kid and like all of that stuff. And I hate it. I don't like it for myself either. Cause I don't feel like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of Virgo in my birth chart, which is really upsetting, but that's the way it goes. And yeah, I've just been really grumpy. I loathe it. I just loathe it. If it gets above 22 degrees, I'm upset. <laughs> that's what's happening. Wow. It's, it's, you don't need to comment on it. I've just been so grumpy. Um, so don't comment on it because I'll just well, get grumpy. Nathan, what's happening with you? <laughs> <laughs> I do have to comment on uh, it, if only to say that 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 response doesn't shock me at all. Doesn't so it neither surprises nor shocks me. I feel like at any point in the last decade, if you had been asked, and at any point in the year, you're you would have had the same. You would have had the exact same response. About um, summer or every about any, anything, any just at any at time of you to be like, I'm just grumpy, and then ins- insert whatever is happening in your life. But it will start True. with hashtag I'm grumpy. Um. I am, uh, I am, I'm doing well. I like every, um, middle-aged straight white guy. I have, I'm in a rock band, uh, and trying to relive my like youth in some way. Um, but it's, it's, it's vaguely literary. So it's vaguely connected to the, to the theme of this podcast in that it was created, um, late last year for the purposes of um, playing at a an event that um, a friend of mine who's a publisher, Noel Allen at Woolsack and Wynn, created this book fair called Sharp Words in, in Hamilton. And she had this big, great venue booked. And she was like, I have nothing happening at night. I need something happening at night. I've got it for the whole day. And she reached out on Facebook or something and was like, does anybody have any ideas? And I, as a joke, I said, what about, uh, you know, literary cabaret thinking like poets on, you know, stripper poles or something, or people like doing burlesque (laughs) or something. And then she reached out and she's like, great idea. What, what else, what, what can you do? And so I came up with this idea that, which was the only thing I could think of. And it's the only thing I could actually execute, which was, we did a, we built a a house band, and then we got writers to come up and sing a song uh, with the band. So we had some guests, former guests of this podcast. We had uh, Andrew Sullivan came up, 
sang a Leonard Cohen song. We had um, Amy Jones came up and sang some Amy Winehouse. Um, we had poet uh, John Terpstra come up and sing a Beatles song. We had Sheila Murray come up and sing another Beatles song. Um, they chose the songs. We didn't, we didn't actually choose for them. So it was great. We had like 10 or 11 authors come up and sing. And we had Gary Barwin. Instead of singing with the band, he chose to do play a Dolly Parton song with a typewriter, Ooh. which was his choice. <laughs> It was very interesting. It was fun. Good for him. Yeah, that sounds very fun. Yeah. Added a little bit of, uh, you know, spice. But while doing this, the guys in the band who I had never met before, we literally assembled off of Facebook to make this. We started thinking like, well, why don't we just do this? Like, let's just, this is fun. We'll just keep doing this. So every month since we've been, we've had this like standing residency at this bar in my neighborhood called the Casbah. And we've been doing this like free live band karaoke show. And a lot of those same writers keep coming. Like Amy comes every time and Amy and Andrew come. Honestly, Amy doesn't get off the stage. Like she will request like eight songs. And, and then just keep that's why up Amy's keep cool. Yes. Uh, and always nails it. Always kills it. Um, it's been great. And so last night we had our first offsite show, like private someone uh, came to one of our events and was like, come and play our family reunion out in the country. So we did that. And it was, uh, it was amazing. We got paid for it. We were out in the middle of a big cornfield. Uh, it was really, really fun. And there were like, by the end, there was like literally 15 or 20, like drunken 20 year olds on stage with us, just belting out whatever song we were doing. I can't remember what the songs were, but, and there were, requesting songs we didn't know and we had to like pr just fake our way through them like yeah we know wonderwall like we can get that and by the end of it, it was just them singing and we're like don't worry we're still playing don't worry and we had a bunch there were a bunch of kids at this party like i mean like six or seven years old and they came kept running up and requesting songs and we would play them but you know, they would request like a Taylor Swift song and we would play it. Like, of course, that's what a kid's going to sing. But then this one kid kept coming up and he's like, I want to do Jackson. And we were like, like Michael Jackson? What? Janet Jackson? He's like, they were like, no, no, Jackson. It's on your list by Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. And we're like, OK, we did Jackson. And they kept coming up. And then they did Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Oh, what? This kid is so cool. Yeah. And the most amazing part was uh, because it's live band karaoke, you don't have the bouncing ball to follow. It's not like it's just a backing track. And so they're just reading off a sheet. We have like books of the book of lyrics in front of them, but they can kind of go wherever they want and we just have to follow them. And so this kid, every time they would sing, would just really read really fast, not really sing, but just read the lyrics really fast. Like we got married kid. in a fever, got in the pepper sprout. Blah, 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 blah. We've been talking about Jackson every time the plug goes, and we're like, "Holy cow!" It was like riding a bucking bronco at in a when it, like in a bar. I'm like, we would just have to keep adjusting. Like that's not how we rehearsed it, but all right, we got to go where you're going. Like, are you at the chorus now? Well, we just started, but all right, that's where we are. Anyway, it was uh, it was a delight. It was really really fun. That's so fun. Yeah. That's really cute. Another it one is bites really the dust. Cute. How old yeah. is this kid, do you think? By the looks of the kid, I'm I'm guessing between between six and eight. 
I could I could be way off. Could be they were like twelve or thirteen, but I'm going by height and just you know voice. It seemed like six or six, seven or eight, and they were like oh. so serious, and they're like, "Okay, I want to do you know." And it was always like some you know old man song. We we actually have a um, one of the guitar players in the group is uh, a high school English teacher. So a lot of his students and grads are coming out and they're becoming like part of this growing like regulars, group of regulars. And they're all like 19 or 20, but they're all requesting like, I want to do Mama Cass or I want to do this like, they always do Fleetwood Mac. They're always doing, like they request these, you know, pre-1980 songs. And I'm like, okay, does no one wants to do Call Me Maybe? Like, is that just not a thing anymore? So it's, it's, it's a delight. It's really love a delight. It. so lovely. That's yeah. so lovely. Yeah, it this is really me. wholesome content. Yeah. It's wholesome. <laughs> it's I good. have a neighbor. They have a baby. Well, he's about, I think, one and a half. And every okay. morning at like 8 a.m., he has a little toy lawnmower. And he just, he just <laughs> walks around the complex with it. But very grimly. Like, he, there's not a hint of a smile. You never no, it's hear a job. this kid laughing. It's a job. Yeah. And, and he doesn't talk to his parents who are just grimly following him as he's mowing the whole complex. And he does it for like an hour. He's committed. Wow. And then this morning it got hot, right? And then his mom picked him up and started to take the lawnmower away because it was too hot outside. And that's the first time I've heard the kids say a word. Down, down. And then he was starting to cry. And I'm like, he just wants his lawnmower. He just wow. wants to do his job. That work ethic on that kid, I'm telling you. Beautiful. Yeah. I will say when you started that story, I was half expecting you to say, and it makes me grumpy and I want to go out there and say, go back to bed. It's it's too early to be mowing the lawn. You're too young to be doing this. No, but that's a, I love that. I love when, when kids and dogs get focused on jobs and aren't, aren't like scattered. It's cute when, um, children think jobs are fun. Yes. Because, um, nobody should have to work. Anyway, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. solidarity. Yeah. I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> but speaking of work, you worked really hard on this novel. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yes. I'm a, such, a trans, Lump, such a transition queen on the podcast. Yeah. Yes, called Lump. Mm-hmm. And uh, can I make a prediction before you yeah. say anything else? Please. So, I noticed that in the descriptions of your episodes, you use a lot of like superlatives and there's a lot of exclamation marks. My prediction is that when this episode comes out, there'll be a lot of like ellipses and shrug emojis. And like, you know, it's another book that's out there. It's not the tone. It's in English. It's (laughs) seems to have been copy edited. And (laughs) listen, just to be there fair, are no pages say, missing in my copy, you can't so I can say that about every book that it's been copy edited. So that, that is true. That is a hundred percent true. That's an yeah. accomplishment in and of itself. Okay, but here's <laughs> the thing, though, Nathan. I actually feel like Lump is getting really great attention. I, I feel agree. Like, it's, um, it's, it's definitely it, like it's gotten some great reviews, and I'm I'm yeah. I'm delighted. There's yeah, a whole because, like, you know, there's the like, there's the. Um, 
I was about to say the swamp, but I was I will say the um, counter argument on Goodreads that I took a brief dip into like a month or two ago and went like, okay, that's that's the loyal opposition. It's not for everybody. It's not it's not going to please everybody. But yeah, the it's been getting a lot of good reviews, and I'm delighted for that. Yeah, because like for independent press books, especially they can come out and like literally no one notices for whatever yes. reason. It's, it's not, and it's not because independent press isn't working on it, or it's not because the book is bad. It's none of those reasons. Just it doesn't. So oh, like absolutely. I'm really happy to see your little flat rubber decky all over. The place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you can you clarify that you mean the uh, the cover? Like the cover has a yeah. flat rubber duck. Like you're not. It's or do I? What do yeah, I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Listen, we could talk about the potential meanings of this for the rest of the yeah, episode. Yeah. That flat rubber ducky, by the way, I've and I've talked about this multiple times publicly, but uh, and I'm always happy to give her the um, the credit, is that's the designer's entirely the designer's responsibility, or or that's they all theirs, because uh, there's there was no ducky in the book when the cover was made, and I in my literal stupid literal brain actually objected and was like i really like this design or mm, there's no duck like where that's <laughs> that seems wrong too a little too random and everybody was like what are you talking about it's just a really good looking cover and so i actually went back and said can you let me insert to a reference to a duck just so my literal brain can say there's a duck in there and i Where's did the duck there are now two references to a duck. So just to sort of be a full disclosure thing, like Jen, you read an earlier version of the book. So I went to you looking for advice and your response was grumpy or like, what you know, <laughs> it was a shrug emoji. Um, <laughs> so the version you read didn't have any ducks because there no. were no, there were no ducks until the book was actually being typeset when the ducks were, were uh, it had already been copy edited and it was typeset and they allowed me to insert two references to ducks and they're not earth shattering. Like the plot doesn't revolve around a duck or anything. It's just, I wanted there to be something that wanted there to be some like, Oh, okay. Now I spotted it, you know, like an Easter. Is there a ducky? Is there a ducky in the, in that bathroom scene? With there is. Now there's a duck. There wasn't yeah. before, but now there is one. But there That's is a where later. We have to go. <laughs> there is a later one where the duck is actually squashed. So I even made that literal, but it, it's very, it's a passing reference. But now it's become this thing of like ducks, ducks are the thing, and I literally because I'm shameless, I'm a shameless self promoter. I bought like a uh, hundred and some rubber duckies, and I put QR codes on the bottom of them. And I've been leaving them all over the place, like at little libraries and on the go train, which is like our sort of between cities train here uh, on public transit, just around in on park benches. This is just, your guerrilla marketing. It's exactly what it is. But what I, what I know is actually what's happening are people are like, oh, that my kid would love this. Why is there a QR code? Throw away. <laughs> Give duck to child. Um, where it does work though is anytime i've had to like not had to anytime i visited a bookstore to like sign a couple copies i give them some ducks you leave some you yeah put That's them on cute. the put them on the copies and then you're you know it looks good it just looks nice 
Yeah, that's Dina nice loves book merch. Visual. Dina loves book merch. Love book merch. Listen, <laughs> I'm already thinking about book merch for books that I haven't even finished yet. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got called out just yesterday by uh, Bianca Spence, who tweeted out a picture from the CNE. You had mentioned the PNE is happening. Oh, the yes, CNE I saw happening. that that Bianca and Paul went to the CNE. She yeah. took a photo of a, a a thing with a bunch of rubber ducks in with sunglasses, and she's like, oh, just found some aggressive marketing by Nathan Whitlock here. <laughs> I was like, there, it's... Even even my like shameless self promotion has now become a thing. <laughs> hey, I like You're it. Getting we love noticed. It. We love yeah. it. Yeah, it's interesting though because, and I was actually talking about this with Megan, where, you know, a lot of people have mentioned like, oh yeah, it's gotten some great reviews. This is my third book, and my first one came out in two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. when and that was a a world where if your book came out and it got five reviews, you were kind of like, Oh, you know, Oh, now if it gets three, you're like, wow, like that's a, that's stunning. But back then it was like, you knew you were going to get the, you were almost certainly going to get the globe. You were going to get quill. You were going to get national post, probably publishers weekly publish. And you could cover the, you know, and now it's it's like if you get the star, you know, you're like the Toronto star. You're like, wow, can't believe I broke <laughs> through. It's such a strange new world for that where, you know, a small handful of reviews and you're like, holy crap, this is on fire. It's 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 depressing, but I'm but I'm also just grateful that it got it got noticed at all. Honestly. Well, I was going to say it was like pretty for me when I was looking at what you were getting for media. It's like if that's pretty good. Like if I was your editor or your publicist, I'd be really happy with that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fantastic. The best, honestly, <laughs> you know? was uh, because, again, because I'm shameless, I have a Google alert for my name and for the. We all do. Nathan. I know, but I'm just, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm lifting the lid on the reality of, you know, publishing. Uh, but my name, but also my name and the title of the book. And after the Toronto Star review came out, I got an alert and I'm like, oh, cool. There's the Star review. And I was like, oh, my God, there's like 20 or 30 other reviews. And they're all and I realized, oh, it's all the Toronto Star review. It's just because of the way newspaper chains are. They just all run the same content, which is nice that it's at the whatever, the Brampton Gleaner or something like that. But it wasn't like (laughs) the Brampton Gleaner's in-house book critic you know assessed it it was just like oh yeah we'll throw that in that'll keep the ads from running together you know this week so it it was it was a brief moment of excitement of like look at this it's people can't stop talking about it and then oh yeah they can totally stop talking about it it's actually quite (laughs) easy to quite easy to stop talking about a a literary novel from an indie press (gasps) but we shouldn't stop talking about we should we should no, I mean, we're going to here. That's yeah. why we are here. Yeah. It's Gina, also... you have a question? Uh, I do. Um, I do have a question. So <clears throat> when I was reading this book, I was... It just... It really felt to me like this is a novel of class and privilege. And it's a very humorous novel. And I think a lot of the humor comes from sort of seeing... Um, how those things give people the tools to get into shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. and justify their shit. 
Mm-hmm. So like one of my first questions is just kind of thinking about the idea of humor and the idea of people getting into shit. Like how were you kind of conceiving of the shit that people were going to get into as you were kind of working on this book? Well, the, the, I'm glad you said it's a humorous book because it's something that I've always uh, emphasized with it, but uh, I have had a few people read it and say, and who liked it, but they're like, this is like heartbreaking. Like, this is awful. There's just all these awful people and these terrible things happen. Uh, Again, Megan read it a couple of times and was bawling through some of the chapters. I've had some people email me like, I was bawling after that one chapter, you know. Uh, But my, my reaction is always like, like I'm awful when when Megan's reading something of mine because I'm sort of like lurking around the corner and if she <laughs> if she chuckles I'm like which which what which which part made you laugh like I'm always looking for the laughs because I feel like that's harder to do you know um, and it's also I'm also very aware of how uh, in especially in Canadian books humor is. Uh, I was just having this exchange with with uh, one of your fellow West Coasters, Carly Baker, actually, uh, where she was complaining about, you know, how Canadian books and Canadian writing. It's like you're either like British dry wit or or you're just serious and melancholy. And there seems to be no other sort of mainstream option. And it's it's that idea that, like, if it's humorous, it has to make you chuckle. Like, I, I remember um John Hodgman uh, saying this, the actor and, and comedian and writer, saying about himself, like he's he writes books for the the like closed mouth knowing chuckle set, which I just thought, oh my god, I see those people like at book festivals where the funny writer is up and everyone's going, mm, 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 mm. I get that reference. What what irony you have exposed here. Yes, politicians, they do lie to us sometimes. You know, it's that <laughs> yeah. kind of like yeah. people do say one thing and mean another. <laughs> Shakespeare did have a it's I I can't stand that shit. I'm much more uh I'm much more interested in trying to achieve that kind of humor where it's is it okay that I find this funny? Like am I a bad person to enjoy this clearly if I was in this situation or I was witnessing this situation, I would feel the need to either intervene or leave or, you know, uh, seek help. But reading about it, I'm like, I think this is funny. I think it's funny that this person is doing this awful thing. So that's the thing I'm always aiming for. Um, I, that sounds very intentional, but it's just the thing I do, I guess it's not, it's, I can say it was my intent, but it's just the thing I'm aiming for anyway. Um, And in terms of like people, you know, getting into doing shitty things and then justifying it to themselves, that's also just naturally what I see. It's it's what I kind of witness. I was on this panel um, the other day with with a group of other Dundurn authors, um, and it was a really interesting panel. The only problem was it was happening at Fan Expo. So it was a group of literary authors in this giant convention center with everybody dressed as like Deadpool and Sailor Moon 
and like a million anime characters and Star Wars. And we're sitting there going like, yeah, the themes I was trying to tackle. But everybody had this slightly, um, like their take on their writing was, was so inspirational and the things they, the, the love they have and the things they wanted to show about their, their life and their stories. And I felt like such a scumbag to some extent where I'm like, I just wanted to like make fun of some shitty people that I've seen in my life that I've had to deal with in my life. And, and I felt like such a degraded version of uh, a degraded use of writing, but then that's, those are the kind of books I like anyway. Um, I actually heard on a former, uh, an earlier episode of this podcast, I was listening to your interview with Casey Platt, um, mm-hmm. who is a great writer. And I, uh, I've interviewed Casey too. And, um, we love Casey. Yes. See, she gets the exclamation marks. I'll get the, uh, like, again, I'll get the ellipses and I'll I'm get gonna the, like, find some, I'm going to find yeah, some new sure. punctuation for you. Sure. Uh, <laughs> There's one, there's a, there's a, an outdated piece of punctuation called the interrobang, which is an exclamation mark. It's an exclamation mark and question mark in one. It sort of looks like a P with a dot. So if you can start using the interrobang in my, uh, in the description for this episode. But I remember in that episode, Casey uh, talks about the idea that she can't write about characters she hates there has to be some kind of love. And I actually had to think oh, about that for a while. you're the opposite. You're the I don't opposite. know if I'm the opposite, but I also <laughs> feel like I, I can't say that I love all my characters. And I can't say that that's what really energizes me. I feel like the, what really like puts the gas in my tank to write about them is more like resentment. <clears throat> and then the longer I'm with them, then I start going like, you know what, I can sort of see how they would justify this to themselves. Like, I can't just grind them into the dirt. And I don't want a villain, and I don't want them, like, twirling their mustache and going, hey, I got away with it again. I want them to actually be able to think it through and go, really, was it so bad what I did? Like, is it, people do worse things than that, and people do awful things. I wasn't that bad. My intentions were good. So... I probably end up somewhere closer to where Casey starts out, but I start out in the like, no, these people have to go down and I, I can't stand them. I think too, though, a lot of that speaks to just the different ways that I, not everyone is the Casey Plaid who starts out that way. We all have different methods and I also think different projects require a different entry point. So like, that's true this novel for you probably had all of that resi- and like for me tonally a lot of that is what appealed to me about this book mm-hmm. in particular like i like dark humor that's where i live that's where i breathe that's where i'm finding uh a, a sense of humanity despite sort of like all of the things that um are happening in this book um, well can I just say real quick, it does remind me the what you're talking about, your approach with characters and the way the book reads, it very much reminds me of Jane Austen. Because she starts out, like Pride and Prejudice in particular, she starts out just skewering everybody. 
And yeah. then by the end, you only you only hate like a half of them, not all of them. So like, <laughs> has anyone ever told you you write like Jane Austen? No, Perhaps just me. If you could, if if you could frame that as a as a declarative sentence instead of a question, I can use that as a blurb. I could even like stick it to a rubber duck and leave it on. It'll like, be like <laughs> Nathan Whitlock is kind of like Jane Austen. If yeah. You squint real hard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but you you pulled it back. We were there. That's pretty I good, was, honestly. I was in the canon, and then you pulled it back, and I was I was back to her. I've been actually thinking lately that, like, you know, the the discussion of imposter syndrome has evolved, I think, to a certain point where we can now say that, like, some cases, some percentage of cases of imposter syndrome are really just, like, authentic self-assessment, where you're like, you want to say to people, like, no, you don't have imposter syndrome. You just know how kind of useless you are. <laughs> you like, you have a pretty clear understanding of your inadequacies. Um, and I'm feeling that right now. I'm feeling like I'm getting the authentic assessment of like, you're like Jane Austen, but from a distance and around a corner and through like smoky glass. And if you're like drunk <laughs> and it's four in the morning. And you have beer glasses on. I'm the beer this glasses Jane fun. Austen. This all sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're fun. talking about. I am the beer glasses fun. Jane Austen. That's what I am. You could say I said that. <laughs> Thanks. Jen Sukfong Lee said Nathan Whitlock <laughs> is the beer goggles Jane Austen. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You could pull I'm, that out, like that little audio clip. Just like. I will absolutely do that. I... <laughs> <laughs> This is how this is how ridiculous I am. So my last book was called uh, Congratulations on Everything. And it was with ECW Press, uh, which we all are aware of here. Uh, and I listened to a an interview with um, from years ago. It was Mark Maron interviewing David Letterman. And at the very end of the interview, David Letterman says, all right, talk to you later. Congratulations on everything. And I actually took the audio and isolated it. And I was like, look, Letterman is calling, giving a shout out to my book. And then I did the same thing on Twitter when Twitter was a real thing. All the people who were saying congratulations on everything. I just, it was a, it was like a 40 million worth hashtag. And I was like, look at this, this, my book is on fire. It's the advantage of like naming your book after something completely ordinary that yeah. everyone is, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. I do think, though, I'll even say, not to speak for her, but I think even Casey Platt writes from a slightly less loving place than maybe she's she's saying it at the, you know. <laughs> I think I've I've read those books, and there's some characters in there where I'm like, that didn't start with love. That may have come to a point of love, but that didn't start with love. I mean, I think this book has a very clear, if you're going to be like, there's one super terrible character like there is it's are you undeniable saying, are you saying the man are you saying He's the one so terrible he makes me so mad and the joke i have to make which i keep making when people do that it's like well you know he's based on me right like that's that's the one Listen, autobi- no i'm ready to hate you if i find <laughs> anything out i'm ready to turn on you at a moment's notice understood but I think too, like he is also sort of this linchpin between other people's choices. Like his actions have caused the other, the women in this book 
the mm-hmm. two that have interacted with him predominantly, he's the reason they make other choices because of his inability to deal with his own garbage choices. Yes. And like, accept, you know, like just there's, it's peak, it's peak, like fragile masculinity to sue people <laughs> over your mistakes. Yes. And with him, we're talking about the, the character Donovan, who's the, the the husband in this kind of central family or central couple of the book. He was the one character where, so, you know, I, I've been asked a couple of times, like, most of the characters are women. And was that a challenge to write from the perspective of a woman? And I'm always feeling like it was actually more of a challenge to write from Donovan's perspective because it was it came too easily. It was too easy to just like, <laughs> oh, I know that guy. He is such a creep and an asshole. And so I actually felt like every draft got a little more, you know, like 3% more sim- sympathetic and gave him a little bit more of a counter argument and gave him a little more of a devil's advocate because originally it was just, He's completely um, irredeemable. And I think by the end, he kind of is. But I wanted to at least be like, well, what would he say in his defense? Like if you if you literally asked him, how dare you or how could you have done this? What would he actually say? And so I tried to kind of thread that in a little bit and and have him feel bad about some of the things he'd done. But then again, start to do the sort of moral relativism thing of like, really, you know, like people do terrible things. Would that really end a relationship or what did, what is what I did all that bad? You know, I absolutely, I mean, I agree. And I think the actual, the realism of his actions, choices, and sort of the realism in, in, in this book that has, I, I think a satirical lens on, you know, these particular people, um, is great because it is believable that he would behave that way. Um, there's an honesty think, of, yeah. there's an, and, and I think there's an honesty with these other characters as well in terms of their reactions, not just to him, but to like their lives, their choices that they're, they're making. I also think with him, with Donovan spe- specifically, I also feel like, <clears throat> uh, he does the the kind of as you say like his actions kind of set off most of the chaos that that kind of ripples out and causes all this other damage and he is probably the least reflective of the characters but i almost want to give him the the like stand by me defense of like after all he's just a man whereas some of the other characters do terrible things and you almost want to say like but you should know better like you you're a little, you're smarter than this guy. This guy's just like a dumb, rich kid, grown up baby. <laughs> like, of course he's going to act like that. What are you doing with him? Or why are you getting involved with this grown up, rich baby in the first place? Like, of course he was going to act like that. He can't help it. He's a, he's just a jerk. You're not just a jerk, a jerk. <laughs> you know? And so, and you're making these terrible. So I don't fully stand behind that, but I also feel like, like it's like it's like blaming a dog for pooping in the wrong spot as opposed to blaming a human for pooping in the wrong spot like of course donovan's going to poop in the wrong spot he's an idiot 
but you're not an idiot and you pooped there too. Or you married this person after seeing him poop in the wrong spot. I was going to ask Jen, Jen, the character of Meredith feels, did this person feel like they lived near us? Like this, that was the West Coast character to me. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I have a yoga studio in my, like, and just, I mean, there is a woman in my neighborhood whose name is, could I say her name? Am I going to get sued? she she has a name, okay, and she's she's very Woman wellness with name. <laughs> that narrows very it down. Very wellness, very wellness looking, and she has a gym slash wellness center in her garage, where she trains and advises a bunch of the moms in my neighborhood, and so and it's called the garage. The, I don't know, very okay. very super creative. But Meredith to me was like this woman in a way, minus the dog. <laughs> Right. Basically. But yes, this woman exists here on the West Coast. Like what? Like, I would say there's one every six blocks. It's like (laughs) at least 30% of the people. Maybe 45. (laughs) Well, Meredith, I will say Meredith, who is the the yoga studio owner, who reveals herself to be even worse than that. Meredith's uh, life and studio is all in uh, the Beaches neighborhood of Toronto which is basically the, the, you know, Vancouver of Toronto. It's, it's that, it's <laughs> got that of. vibe. It's, I mean, it's, it's on water. Uh, there are beaches. Uh, there are literally beaches and, and it is a place where like, it, you know, it's not, it's not people getting their kids to soccer practice or hockey practice. It's, it's people leisurely pushing their like $4,000 strollers that are like also hovercraft or something or like have shock absorbers and getting coffee and, and going to this, you know, well curated indie bookstore and then, you know, picking up the Sunday New York Times. And then it's it's very much that kind of neighborhood, which is the main character Kat's perspective on it as well. So... In the sense, she Meredith is West Coast because she's she's a beaches person. In yeah, and it's just also too like so much of the the wellness, the wellness ideas, and I mean, I also feel like it's so relevant now. Just her ideas about about wellness, about health, about medicine, about mm-hmm. love, about just like she just feels like so many horrible women I've had to have arguments with about things like <laughs> I don't know it's even like got anti-vax culture like QAnon culture oh, yeah. a little bit in her but mm-hmm. it's not super obvious and I actually liked that more because it's so easy to see someone who's on the extreme but sort of privileged wealthy woman who values wellness is honestly one of the most dangerous people in our society yes like white wellness woman wealthy wellness woman like just we're doomed yeah the second and there's no reasoning similar to how there's no reasoning with donovan about his behaviors which are are creepier on a different level there's no reasoning with her or the other like the archetype of that type of woman who's just like no no these are my ideas. I will keep them in my brain forever. Mm-hmm. You are all wrong. 
I am the picture of health. Health represents just these very specific things only. Like there was just, I, I was really mad at her too. I was yeah. getting really mad. I was it's, so angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also like a it's like a time capsule from the time when anti vaxxers were lefties were like rich you know educated lefties that still and not is happening. Like, that yeah, still oh yeah, is happening. but they've been yeah. they've been like they're they're getting covered by yeah they're they're, they're not getting as loud. like camouflaged by the by the the red hat. Um, it's it's also a thing. Sort of again going back to the people justifying their own shit and and maybe even the humor of it is looking at the book now and I I literally just thought of this but I think one thing I was trying to do as well is be very careful that everything everybody says like if you were to show that to a neutral third party and if they didn't know the whole context of the situation nothing they say is all that wrong like they don't actually come out and say anything evil or obviously manipulative except in a couple of moments or outright deceptive you would see what they were saying they're like yeah they seem to be like looking out for your best interests like everything meredith says sounds almost reasonable and yet um i mean part of what she came out of and her approach came out of actually um a a friend of my wife's and a friend of mine who died of cancer a few years ago, a writer, um, who was very much pursuing pursuing those kind of therapies and, uh, you know, uh, cures, these sort of miracle cures. And there's this one unlicensed place in Mexico that uses, you know, cactus flowers and uh, whatever, the moon glow and sand and that will reduce the tumors or something and we sort of watched her basically like drain all her bank accounts to do this whereas the doctors were who who the, by the way the the it was the doctors you know the standard western medicine who didn't find the tumor in time so that's where that it's not like they were it's not like you just say like oh well trust doctors and trust hospitals because they completely screwed her and that's what drives people into the arms of yeah. These that's the complications yeah. of, of this kind of of situation. Because like, yes, when people say "don't trust the government," I mean, yes, I understand where you're coming from, but th- there's no other logic that's kind of playing out, and that's yeah. part of the problem. Like, so much of this is not based in logic. Yeah, like so that's it, not. No, it's it's based on it's 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 an emotional need looking for something, looking for a, a solution and an easy solution that doesn't require anything more out of them than they are willing to give anyway. So there's always going to be those kind of people ready to supply that. And so part of what that character and their approach to to health and to healing, which was just like, it's not the cancer's problem it's your problem you have to come in in alignment with your with the tumors and the cancerous cells and you have to you know fight it off and which really implicitly says you need to be strong enough to to fight cancer which and it's also saying you need to be strong enough you need to be healthy enough and yeah the majority of the time that just means listen 
You got to do yoga. You got to be thin. If you're not thin, you might as well just be a huge bag of garbage waiting for the garbage truck. Like if you don't, you know, eat these specific foods, if you don't have Mm -hmm. a positive attitude and it's like, there's plenty of fucking reasons to have a bad attitude and I will not tolerate people saying that's not true. Yeah. And again, we had two very close friends die within a couple of years of each other of cancer who were both writers both extremely positive people, uh, very healthy people running, going, you know, uh, vegan, like doing everything you're supposed, like doing the checklist. And still it got them. Like there's no, there's no morality. And then, you know, then there's the, like the, the ladies in the pool across the street who are, you know, smoking <laughs> up a storm and drinking. They'll Pinot live Grigio. forever. They will live pickled, forever. They are pickled <laughs> Not just by the alcohol in their body, but also in the pool. There's some kind of pickling yeah. liquid in there. One of those ladies, by the way, literally in, right next to the pool, there's a big uh, uh, pine tree. And there was a – someone had put a rope swing uh, like it's you know Huck Finn days or something. But there was actually a rope with a little board. And the kids after school would go under that tree and swing. And I watched from my bedroom window – one of the ladies who does the floating go over there, chop, chop, take the rope away, throw it in the garbage and leave. Simply because in her mind, it was like, that's against the rules. You can't, you know, this is hurting the tree. You've got to like that's stop it. So such villain behavior. Yeah. So when you're celebrating their, their floating in the pool, <laughs> remember there's that Listen, other side of like. They're, complica- they're complicated women. Yes, they are. But I don't approve of that. Um, Sorry, (laughs) Jen. So listen, I think this is a question that I think a lot of people who listen to friends of the podcast, friends of Can't Litter, be interested in. So I do know a little inside baseball because I did read an earlier version of this novel. But um, I do know that you had sought like a sensitivity read, particularly Mm -hmm. for Lena, who is Filipina. And I wanted you to tell our listeners what that process was like for you, because I think that like a lot of authors are, or, you know, writers in general are thinking about doing sensitivity reads for whatever work in progress they're working on and almost don't really quite know how that process is from like beginning to end. And like, you know, right. that's the, the writing teacher in me wants us to talk about that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I did. And, and I believe I even reached out to you for some help with that. And it was specifically for that character because that one was where it was so far outside of my personal knowledge although that character was actually based on uh not a not a house cleaner but a but a nanny that i knew very well because um my oldest kid when he was little was friends with the kid that this nanny was uh watching and we would often hang out in the park and talk and i got to know her really well and got to know her you know the dynamic of her in her house you know that with the with the parents who were basically like completely exploiting her like Mm -hmm. they they had two kids that this this poor nanny was watching and their kids were in like multiple lessons after school lessons per day and it was always the nanny who had no car just carting these poor kids all over toronto and then the parents would get home at like six o'clock and be like all right are they fed you know bathed and they've done all their piano and taekwondo and everything else that they were doing and 
And the parents themselves consider themselves very, you know, left wing and we're supportive and we're going to totally sponsor her for, for status to, to stay here unless she screws up, you know, and tells little Danny that he can't have a snack at three o'clock. So I, I, I felt like I knew what I wanted to write about, which was that dynamic. I knew a little bit of that situation, but I didn't I knew I was stepping out of my own uh, understanding enough that I wanted to get, I sort of framed it to myself less as a sensitivity read and more of an accuracy read. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did send those particular chapters to a writer uh, 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 named Carlo uh, or Carlos. Now I feel bad that I, don't have it off the top of my head. Uh, he's thanked in the book. Um, who had written, who is Filipino himself and had written about specifically interviewed and worked with a lot of people uh, who were Filipino cleaners in Canada. And the amazing part is that he also works at McDonald's, <laughs> not as a server, but in, in the like corporation. And I was like, oh, well, this cleaner later goes to work at McDonald's when she quits being a a cleaner. Um, and he read them and gave me like great feedback on them. Like, mm -hmm. and I tried to be very upfront. Like I'm not looking for thumbs up. You're a good white man. You got everything. You're, you, you told our story. Thank you for getting it out there. I was like, I'm not, I'm not looking for like literary blessing. I'm looking for art. Do the particulars of her situation make sense? Mm -hmm. Like everything I say about, her immigration status and the legal status of her being here uh, and, and her cousin who is also here. Um, and he gave me some good points. He would be like, well, she would know that because this is the actual process. So you might want to like emphasize that a little more. So I did. Um, it was, it was honestly, it was like working with an editor. It was, was felt not really much different than just working with a, yeah. an editor who could, literally say like well the law in canada would be that she would have to have this amount of money to do this so there would have to be this situation so i was like it never felt like i was being put upon it was more like oh that's actually a good point and i didn't make that clear enough and that would have been that doesn't undermine what i wrote but it does adjust slightly so i would say luckily because I'm a wonderful person and I'm a wonderful, brilliant, empathetic person. And some have described me as a lot like Jane Austen. Um, <laughs> I got <laughs> sometimes, yeah, you know, again, beer goggles, uh, or maybe it's like, maybe it's like a uh, Jägermeister goggles. Maybe it's even worse. Um, oh God. <laughs> so I've got, I'm Jag goggles, uh, Jane Austen, but I, I got, I won't say I got most of it right, but there wasn't much that he objected to or found. There was a couple of just what he came back with was just certain things like, oh, yeah. that that needs to be clear. It was mostly just clarify this, this yes. and this. But it felt really, you know, and I paid him a fee and, and I made clear, like, I'm not going to, like, use you as like, I've been checked by the community. Like, <laughs> if if someone wants to raise an objection, absolutely. Um, but I feel like I got it to the point where any objection would be the same that any objection to, could make to any of the other characters. Like this character said, you say they're from Peterborough, but actually they don't seem to know the right neighborhood or whatever. 
or we don't call it that in Peterborough. Like, it would be the same objection as if you made for any imaginative leap in in writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it felt very just like a standard editorial process as opposed to some, you know, magic ceremony where I'm being blessed and given given the thumbs up or the passage into the light, which well, is, I, I think, think this what, is just yeah. what, what's the way people should think about it. Like that's, yeah. do a bit of homework, do a bit of, you, you do it as a research thing as opposed, or an editorial task as opposed it's, to a, uh, a I scary, think scared. you know. Yeah. yeah, they're scared. And like, I, I would say like, it's always been interested to like demystify that process for people because like I had um, a sensitivity read for the novel I'm working on now. Um, also a Filipina character, oddly, but um, a lot of I can do that for you if you want, because now I'm an expert. I've been, I'm honorary. Yeah, (laughs) I've been welcomed into the community. Oh my God. Well, I got a different reader. Her name is Precious de Leon. She lives in Calgary and she's a writer. So I think you want to go that way. That's fine. Precious. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) she was great because as you say, it was a lot about accuracy, a lot about like, um, and what I was, you know, if we as writers approach all of our characters as like full, fulsome human beings, it's not really about the character itself. It's often about like, you know, she gave me some really good ideas about how like, so a lot of my book is like the migration of Asian women and um, horror stories, like myths from the places they're from. And so she gave me a lot about, you know, migration and where they go and the stories they pick up and how, um, you know, certain demons um, have a definite article and some have an indefinite article. Like it was all of these really, oh, and it was so, yeah. yeah. So it was overwhelmingly positive. And these are the little things that make the book far more, you know, believable and interesting and immersive for the right, for the reader. But like, I think it was very like, I was, there's a, there's a part of me that's like, what if I get everything wrong? What if she reads it and thinks it's terrible? Um, and then when I got her feedback back, it was so like, precise and like really about these details and, and that felt like really e- not easy necessarily but that felt really like digestible and not scary at all just yeah. an editor saying let's be more accurate or precise about x y and z and like and i so i don't want people to feel scared because really it's that stuff yeah and i think i i, I may have even said this to to when when i went through this process i think i even made the point of like I'm not, I'm not even asking you to assess literary quality. Like I'm not asking oh God, you to no, like, no. like this or enjoy no. it, or even like, like what I do with this character. Like you can still object to like, yeah, but she, she sounds kind of shitty or whatever. Like you can have those objections and that's fine, but it's, yeah, it's completely down to accuracy of, of the most obvious things. And then beyond that, it's like, that's, that's just my responsibility. And the blame is mine. The blame is hundred mm-hmm. percent mine. Mm-hmm. I always think too, when you like the fear thing, I actually would push back on that and say that I think it's good that people feel afraid not to do the process, but mm. to enter into that territory in the first place in the sense of like, like when those, and I know I'm, I'm probably talking to the choir here preaching to the choir but like when guys say like you can't even like you know tell a girl at work she looks hot you know without some where you're like well yeah you should probably think twice about that like if you're if you're not sure how that's going to be received maybe don't say it like i think certain kinds of fear i'm almost like yeah that's a good fear that's actually yeah. good you should you shouldn't like you also shouldn't like eat random mushrooms that you don't know what they are or pet dog, <laughs> de- pet dogs you don't know. Like 
fear is good sometimes. So it's like, if you're afraid of writing because you're a, a middle-aged white guy and you're like, well, I want to write the great slave novel. And I'm not sure. <laughs> what do I like? Everyone's so Please sensitive don't. now. Please don't. Please I want to do. I want to write the Underground Railroad, you know, thriller nope. that everyone's. I'm like, yeah, that that's everyone's waiting for. Yeah, I'm. I hope you're afraid to write that. Like, you should sweat that one. And like <laughs> the 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 uh, the analogy I always make is like, if you're worried about like. Well, I want to have this character, or that character. I want to have like an indigenous woman, and and she's my main character because I think they're great. I'm like, well, would you feel comfortable if if me as like the waspiest guy in the world wrote a Holocaust novel, wrote a novel like set in the like Warsaw ghetto or something about a family fleeing the Nazis? And they might be like, well, no, that's that that's not your story. And I'm like, yeah, you see, you like. The, the, the lines become a lot clearer when you put it in their own terms, you know, it's, it, it's, it's always seemed weird the way people uh, act like this. Is, and again, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, not just for you two, but for like anybody listening, but it's weird that people frame this as some sort of weird um, moral right they have. And it's like, you can write whatever you want, go ahead, but, you're going to look like an asshole. <laughs> like, like you, there should be like, there should be a little bit of fear. There should be a fear about writing anything, frankly, like you should go into it with some nervousness and go like, can I write this book? Even if you're just writing about it yourself, even if it's like the most auto fiction, you know, semi fictionalized memoir you can make, like you should feel a little nervous. Cause okay. That's the scariest make you want- thing to write. Let's be honest. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Gen- Jen knows I just wrote, I just finished a long poem and most okay. of my poetry books are not autobiographical at all. Like I know a lot of poets love to get into that. Not nah, this guy. I fucking hate it. <laughs> so I finally did it. And it's like a long poem, like a book length poem, but a lot of it is about my spouse. And then mm-hmm. I finally, he read it and I was like, I told Jen, I was like, Jen, this is horrible. Uh, oh no! But it turned out it turned out fine. But yeah, it usually like, does. My body was just—I definitely had a lot of stress diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> when my sister I had, uh, and not yeah. because I was like, oh, he's gonna tell me that like I shouldn't publish it or it sucks, but like, you know, I wanted to know that. I wasn't, you know, misrepresenting him or a relationship in a way that was like really going to be harmful to him or I was, I'm, yeah. No, the only thing he said was he didn't like that I talked about how many wrestling podcasts he listens to because he (laughs) listens to other podcasts. Okay. (laughs) And I could not stop laughing. Uh, I Uh, told you, right. The only note my sister had on my book was, was she read an early version? Yeah, her early version. We, we she read her earlier version. She fixed a couple dates, and then she and then her only other comment was, "Our childhood was so fucked up." LOL, and that was it. It's <laughs> so good. It's honestly, it's one of the yeah, one of the best things I've ever heard. Um, also, I just want to say, in the end, though, like Lena and Patricia rule, and I love them. 
They remind me of the two the two girls in the White Season Two, White Lotus. Yes, uh, yes. The yes. two Italian, they're like uh, young. Yeah, women. they're just like having drinks, trying <laughs> to get through life, trying to figure stuff up, figure stuff out. I feel like they were also the only people that ever truly had like moments of enjoyment together. Like everyone else was really not not having a good time. I have I was this rooting dude, for I, them. I, I, me I have too. This... I was like, yeah, you should scam more money from people. <laughs> it could be a series of books. I yeah. could make a series of, of Lena yeah. and Patricia going around yeah. and I love trashing I, people. Not that they did scam things, but like, yeah, they could have. I, I have this theory, longstanding theory about, or belief about, uh, belief, not a theory, about writers, especially literary writers, that you have to have certain little, like, uh, uh, buoys or lifeboats in your work that are the things you're genuinely proud of. So for those moments when you're feeling really shitty about what you did and you're having all the doubts and you're like, what did I, why did I bother writing this? So you can just kind of reach out for those little life rafts and go, but I liked that part. Like that will, that will carry you through. And so there's a few moments in this book where I'm like, no imposter syndrome, no like fake, uh, modesty, no self-doubt. I'm actually genuinely impressed with myself. <laughs> like they make me laugh. And one of them is in the scene where Patricia and Lena are, are having some drinks, having some mm-hmm. bubbly, cheap bubbly in the in the mm-hmm. kitchen. And Patricia shows this new, you know, singer that she's loved. And I'm I'm blanking on the name. And I, I it was like Lil Tigger, I think, something like that. No, I think that's I think that's correct. And who is also an ordained minister uh, and says, and there's a line. And again, I, I'm quoting myself, but it makes me laugh because I, when I, every time I came across it, going to the drafts and, and the, you know, the, the various proofs, I was like, I, I don't think I came up with that. I'm worried that I stole that. But it was some line about a quote where, um, you know, I'm not worried about the people who are praying in church. I'm worried about the ones, the souls of the ones with their face in a pussy or something like that. I, I'm mangling my own quote. I have just, it. I like, just pulled it up. I'm going to tell you right now. It okay, says, go Jesus, ahead. Don't, Jesus, don't fuck with people who have their face in a Bible. He's after the ones with their face in a pussy. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm laughing now. I got it. I'm laughing at my own joke. Uh, and I'm, I'm literally like having one of those moments where I'm like, I hope I didn't steal that. I hope uh, that's not plagiarized, but that's one of those moments where like, I can't even take responsibility for it. That's the moment of divine inspiration of like some, you know, trickster God put that in my brain and was like, you can put that in your book. Um, So I, I tend to agree. Like those were, that was fun. They were fun to write about. They were really fun to write about, but I will say I also, again, going back to the nervousness and the the legitimate fear you should have. When I was writing Lena's story, and I, you know, I don't think it's not a thriller, so I'm not, I don't think it can really be spoiled. But I will just say the situation that Lena is in at the very end. There was some point when I was writing the book, and I sort of knew that's where it was headed, or I would, maybe I'd already had a draft of that final chapter or a version in my head. And then I saw the movie knives out where the caretaker ends up this, and we might as well spoil this, but ends up with the whole estate and mansion and so forth. And there was this, there's clearly this metaphor at play that like the shitty rich white family 
tears themselves apart and self-destructs and the immigrant young immigrant woman ends up with everything and they're you know it's it's america and you know you will all tear yourselves apart and the immigrants will win kind of thing and i didn't want to have it that neat i didn't want to have it that clean as like you see she wins in the end so that was it was also a, something that made me nervous of like even though i liked that movie and i it's really satisfying and there's like some um you get some joy some like delicious wicked joy of watching that happen uh i didn't want my book to be as enjoyable as knives out <laughs> that's like a, i didn't want it to be as clean i was like yeah but that's still kind of a fantasy like that's that's still kind it's another version of liberal white liberal fantasy of like it's it's the more like white guilty version of like but we'll we'll get they'll win in the end so uh i didn't want it to be that clean so there's there's sort of echoes of that narrative in the ending of of lump but it's also complicated in the fact that it's there's still a power dynamic is still in place there's no like actual victory there's no monetary victory there's no it just feels like there's some kind of moral victory i guess uh and and even something which uh i don't know why i i couldn't really say why i put it in there but it became really important to kind of keep it through the thread but there was something weirdly uh christian about the ending which is odd because i don't consider myself i'm not a practicing christian like i'm i don't go to church and i don't you know but it felt important to be like again as like that's her life and that's her perspective and that's it's important to take that seriously and she takes it seriously and she is challenged in that way and and so it kind of went in a place where i wasn't fully expecting it to but it it it, it just needed to be a victory, but not a clean and an uncomplicated one, I guess. But I agree. It's fun to watch them get drunk and trash people. And <laughs> they're, just, they're just very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and Patricia's enjoy- kind of yeah. the voice. The Patricia's the kind of voice of like, just guilt free yeah. living, living in the moment. Like you got to get it. You got to do this. You do that. Even so, the, you know, Maybe she's the one character who, like, if you took her quotes and showed them, they'd be like, oh, what an awful person. And yet <laughs> you end up rooting for them. Like, get yeah, it? I kind of get it. You know, she's you got right. to kind of like land the guy and you can't do that unless you look a certain, you know. Uh, you know what? She knows. She knows. She, she knows. knows. <laughs> she knows exactly what she's doing. She understands Wearing the Raptors the jersey. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, she gets it. Uh, Jen, are you ready to share your emotions with us? Oh, in yeah. Jen's emotion corner. Uh oh. Okay. It's been a roller coaster. Tell me when. The time starts now. Okay. So I just recently had an argument with a very dear friend, actually, about white supremacy and wokeism. And the words I don't see color were used, which, of course, makes me see rage, red rage. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but um, I didn't react calmly to it. And I felt really bad. I ended up feeling really like emotional and like personally attacked, like I was being cornered. Um, and I know that if we were talking about like the Jordan Pearsons or the John Case of the world, they would demean like an emotional reaction because that's not what we should do when we're having like political conversations. But I realized like in hindsight that when somebody starts devaluing things like, you know, inclusion and equity 
or decolonization, that those things are actually inherently personal, partly because like for me personally, like my body is going to be politicized by others, whether I like it or not. This is not a choice I've ever made. Um, and also my identity and who I am and the decisions I make professionally and personally are very much shaped by that. So devaluing of that experience of like aggression, micro or macro or oppression is also like a devaluing of like my whole sense of self and identity. So this person telling me that my whole life's work and code of ethics is, you know, basically without value, I, I got mad. And uh, I had a, I, I might've said a couple things, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very proud. I did not apologize, which is what I usually would have done. But I did not because, uh, as my partner said, Jan, I, don't, I want you to stop apologizing when you're right. And I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. That, yep. Jen Screw is it. correct. I think the meanest thing I said was, let me finish, bitch, which I don't think is that bad. <laughs> that's pretty nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a sweet way of putting it, I would say. I think that's, you're basically being kind to that person. Yeah, I know. Stop interrupting me and let me finish. Good God. Absolutely. Okay, Dina, are you ready for raging and your rage minute? It's time for Dina's rage minute. It starts now. Now? Okay, so literally there's never enough time for all the socializing that I want to do. I'm doing a lot of it, and yet I still wake up angry every day that I have to do anything that isn't socializing. Like, please, plenty of time for being alone in a few months. Um, This... I know Jen doesn't agree, but summer is ending. And for me, that also feels like socializing is also ending. And please, I know what happens in fall. It rains all the time and it's dark and socializing becomes this distant memory. If you like being alone, that's fine. But know that I resent you and that you are hanging out (laughs) without me. And I will be creating (laughs) fucked up scenarios in my head about it. Um, no one is even making close to enough money, market rental housing, government inability to do anything about climate change and the literal harm to people as a result and barbecue flavor chips. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. There you go. Like All the big issues. No, they're like fucking disgusting. Flavors? They're so disgusting. I think we're covering all the big issues here. All the great societal ills. Yeah. Climate change, wildfires. Uh, you know, white chips. white supremacy barbecue yeah. chips. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Hard no barbecue chips. Oh my god! Oh my um, god! So listen, listeners, you know how to find us. But if you want to find more of us, you can find us at cantlet.ca. You can find us on Twitter slash X for the time being, because we're not anywhere else right now. Uh, we're still there <laughs> at Cantlet. Because Jen and I are pretty go down with the ship vibes at this point, um, right? We're those two old people on the bed in the Titanic, just holding yeah. on to each other. <laughs> we're just hold. We're just clutching each other while the like the water is going to wash over us. Um, and you can rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your children that there are swears in this, so they'll definitely want to listen. Um, yeah. So that's it. Nathan, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on X. I'm still there. <laughs> uh, I, I still feel I feel a little bit of like a dead ender as well. 
I yeah. feel you're like the threat... you're the violinist in the Titanic. Yeah, or yeah. I'm, I'm not quite at the level of like, uh, you know, 2010 era where you're participating in the hashtag of like ruin a song by changing one word. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not playing that game anymore, but I'm still there. Like I even had like a mild fight with somebody on Twitter recently, which felt very cool. like Old last, school. last mm. decade. I'm like, Ooh, you know, um, I'm also, I am on threads, but it, it feels like being at a, or like a farmer's market on a Saturday where you're just like, oh, everyone's here's too nice. I want some bile. I want some anger. I want a little bit of vinegar and piss. Um, and I'm on Instagram or everything. I also, if I can plug my own podcast, I have recently, recently started uh, my own uh, author interview podcast which uh, is called What Happened Next. It's specifically interviews with authors. It's weekly. Uh, it's long interviews with authors about books that came out a while ago. So it's while they're kind of, as a publicist would say, off cycle. Uh, it's when they are not actively promoting a book. And I specifically wanted to make it that podcast because every conversation I've had with an author is always interesting until they start promoting their book. I want authors are never honest while they're promoting a book. They get honest after it's out and they're like, yeah, I really wanted a GG nom. Like I, now I can admit I should have, or like, yeah, I bugged my publicist a little too much about that one thing. Or I wish I was invited to that one festival. Like they, they, I wanted them in a period of like, of, of honesty. And so it's weekly. We've had some. We've had some of the same authors on there. Um, I've had Lynn Cody, Alicia Elliott. Um, this one that's going up tomorrow while we're recording this. I don't know when this episode's coming, but uh, it's the coming out one. tomorrow. Oh well, then uh, we will be competing because my interview with Nassim Harab, who is a great kids writer and also a publisher, um, Carly Baker was on last week. Um, it's it's really fun conversations about uh, the weird sort of un, unpromoted parts of a writer's life where they're just it's the nuts and bolts. And they're like, oh, I got to do this again. Like my book is not new anymore. My publicist doesn't send me reviews. The festivals are all gone. Now I'm just sitting here doing it again. Like what's that's what I was signing up for. So it's been great so far. That's and it's at all the podcast places wherever Everywhere you find. Everywhere you get podcasts, this and you one have a website or, too, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, you can go to my website, NathanWhitlock.ca. Has all of my shameless self promotion. Um, everything is there. Wonderful. And so now we only have one last thing, Nathan. We need to know what can't you with? What I can't with is which I don't know if that's remotely grammatical but it doesn't matter the same doesn't with, want it to be yeah it resists perfection uh that you need the imperfection that the cracks because that's how the light gets in is that that um as as someone who has been mistaken for jane austen uh from a distance <laughs> i would <laughs> i would this is going to be the, this is going to like, if I've built up any goodwill throughout this episode, which I'm sure there's only a little bit, but this is going to wipe it out completely. 
I think that kids, children need to fear adults more. I think they need, there is a level of healthy, respectful fear of adults that I, when it's not there, it drives me absolutely fucking crazy. So I have an eight-year-old. I currently have an eight-year-old about to be a nine-year-old. I have two older kids. I have three kids. I've been a parent my entire life, my entire adult life. Um, actually, as of this year, I've been a parent longer than I have not been a parent. And so I've been a parent. I love my kids. I adore them. They, like, they are everything for me. But I really like my kids. And I'm not as crazy about the kids that are kind of come with them, that the rest of the package, like the friends and the, uh, some of them are fine, you know, and the cousins and the nephews and nieces, some of them are great. Some of them I adore. Some of them I'm like, I guess that comes with the package. Uh, Those are like the cable channels that you never look at. (laughs) But the thing that drives me crazy is if you're in a situation where there's a group of children and they're doing something shitty, which is, you know, 75% of the time. And you tell them, stop, like, don't put us, don't stop trying to put that t-shirt on the dog. The dog doesn't like it or stop trying to like ride the banister down or stop trying to steal things from me. Don't take my laptop and run outside with it. If I say that to my kids, they go like, oh, okay, sorry. Because they know that I'm not going to do any kind of physical punishment, but they know that like there will be something. There will be no movies for weeks or there will be no something bad will happen in the sense that something good won't happen. A lot of other kids that I have to deal with will just be like, yeah, and do that kind of like you're just another person. Like I'm a person and you're a person and we're equal and I can tell you what to do. And nothing makes me angrier than that moment where I want to be like, no, I'm a grown up. I've been through some things. I own this house. I have money and a job and I can make you disappear. And you need to like have some understanding of, I won't do it, but I could. The threat should be in your head. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, we have gotten to a place where we've become much more aware of what constitutes good parenting and what children need and they need emotional support and they need to feel confident in the world and they need to feel loved. And I agree with all that. Uh, But the one thing that I would want to bring forward from the bad era of parenting is just that little sliver of like, uh, but grownups can be scary. So if they tell you no, or they tell you stop, just have the like an emotional or just a, a a visceral like I should stop now, you know, in the same way that you shouldn't again, you shouldn't go pet strange dogs. You should have an awareness that like dogs can bite you. Lots of dogs are nice, but dogs can bite you. Lots of grown-ups are nice and grown-ups will support you. Grown-ups but, will bite. But grown-ups can bite. They're grown-ups, allowed to bite. I've heard have, that about they have them. cars, they have alibis, they have they they know where all the really quarries are. On the biting, the biting for me is. I no, you know what? Now, for me, now. it would not be it would not be a bite because usually with this kind of kid, I don't want any kind of physical contact. I don't want I don't want to I don't even think about physical contact, even in the context of of hurting them. Yeah. I want to like 
like just kind of not tell them about the broken step on the way down into the backyard or something like that. I'm like, I have information that you need. You should show me a minimum of respect so that I will remember to say, oh, don't step on the third step down or you'll go flying. Otherwise, there is a small part of my brain that will be like, okay, we're equals, so we have equal amount of information. Let's see how you do on the steps. So that's the thing I can't even, uh, and it's, it's basically, you know, TLDR, kids should fear adults. <laughs> and I hate when they don't. All right, kids, get scared, <laughs> I guess. It's time for you so, to so buy Lump at your favorite independent bookstore yeah, or from your favorite independent bookseller. No children. More, more parenting uh, uh, insights, more engagement. yeah. 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 A child is injured in this book, so just so everyone knows. That is actually true, yes. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler, some, everybody. Yeah. No child oh, dies in the book, though. But one child isn't, so only or only emotionally injured. So you Yeah, know, it's fine. It's, it's a normal. wash. It's, it's a, a wash. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you to I, everyone for listening. Yes, go ahead. I was going to say, I look, again, I look forward to the, how you manage to, like, frame your, uh, you know, lukewarm enthusiasm in the description of the episode. I'm going to write it up right now. Well, it's, it's just going to say, it's just going to say grownups will bite. That's all it's going to say. It's going to say grownups are allowed to bite. Children need to fear adults. Beer goggles, Jane Austen. Boom. Yeah. Did it. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Um, thank you so much. And everybody... Have a great time. Enjoy this super extended, long episode as the summer wanes and Jen is delighted and I am devastated. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>